This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. I'm Cynthia Graber. Research has demonstrated that, overall, women are more vulnerable to drug addiction than men are. They become addicted more quickly after first using, they have a harder time staying off drugs, and they relapse at higher rates. But most studies have focused on men, and models that have been developed nearly entirely focus on male subjects. Now two things are changing the situation. Scientists are realizing that women's experience and women's brains are different when it comes to addiction, and the NIH has mandated that tests involve female subjects as well. Erin Calipari is Assistant Professor of Pharmacology at the Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, and she's one of the authors of a new paper in the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. In it, she and her colleagues create a new model for examining the differences between female and male rodents when it comes to drug addiction. Dr. Calipari says women in particular have stronger reaction to cues. These are triggers like a room or like drug paraphernalia that before abuse might not mean anything, but that after abuse can trigger the same regions of the brain as the drug itself. Dr. Calipari and her colleagues wanted to understand how hormonal cycles might affect female responses to cues. Previous animal models investigating such topics removed the gonads and gave injections of hormones, says Dr. Calipari. But what you start to do when you remove gonads and give hormones back with a bolus injection, for example, is you're giving the hormone, but not in its natural environment. And so when you think about the hormonal cycles, there's many hormones circulating at different times. So you have things like progesterones, luteal hormone, you have estradiol. And so, you know, when you have intact cycling females, you're looking at a natural system that would be happening in the environment. And you're trying to understand how that system is capable of influencing the way that females are learning about drugs and associated stimuli. And so essentially, we developed a paradigm where we could dissociate the cue learning from how much drug they wanted to consume, how motivated they were to consume that drug, and then how that changed in the presence or absence of those cues. And so what it allowed us to do is really for the first time, take each of these different components apart and say, which ones are the ones that are most being influenced by by sex? Which ones are the ones most being influenced by hormonal cycles? How can we understand this kind of further? So what are the cues and how does this model work? So the way this model works is that they start out in the beginning of, of their drug taking experience. And what we do is we, during different phases of the ester cycle, we, we have them learn about the drug and the associated cues. So we pair a light cue with um, the drug that's being administered. So they get high, they associate that with the cue, they don't have to do anything. And so then once they've done that, that cue association has been formed and we can do that, you know, at different times. Then what we do from there is we let the animals learn to self-administer the drug. So now they can lever press to get drug, but we do this in the absence of cues. And then we go into a testing phase where um, we're using behavioral economic principles. And so my background is in, in behavioral model development and addiction. And one of the things that we do a lot are models that allow us to dissociate how much drug an animal wants to take from how motivated they are to take that drug. And so essentially the way that these tasks work, you increase the price the animal has to pay for the drug over the session. So essentially what we do is we decrease the dose. So what this means is that the animal has a a blood level that it wants to maintain. So it has a certain amount of drug it wants to take. What you do is you keep making it more and more difficult for the animal to maintain that level of drug. And what animals will do is they'll adjust their behavioral responding or their rate of responding to keep taking that same amount of drug they want to take until it gets too expensive for them. And then what they'll do is they'll, they'll, their responding will drop off. And so essentially what we do is we increase the price for cocaine over and over and over again until the animal is no longer willing to pay that price. And what that allowed us to do was to actually introduce cues, the cues that were learned earlier, 
into this paradigm so we can have the animals do these economic tasks either in the presence or absence of cues. And what that allows us to do is determine at baseline in the absence of cues what is the motivational value of cocaine. And then it allows us to understand how those cues that were learned earlier are influencing how hard animals are willing to work to get this cocaine. So what were the differences and what was the effect of the estrus cycle? So in our task, because the way we did it, what we found was that we did not see sex differences or estrus cycle differences if there were no cues. And so the females and males were taking the same amount of drug and they were just as motivated to take that drug. But when we introduced cues that were paired during estrus, so when circulating ovarian hormone levels were high, those cues were capable of increasing motivation almost twofold. So the animals were working much, much, much harder for the drug in the presence of these cues that the animals had learned in estrus. And what might this mean? What might the implications be for the differences between males and females? You know, this is a kind of a interaction between something really clinically relevant, but also a basic science question. But I think that what you can say is it's not that necessarily that females are going to be only vulnerable when they're in a specific, you know, menstrual cycle stage. But I think what's really important about this is that that females have the capability of attributing value to cues associated with cocaine much faster. And so, you know, when you think about drug taking, people don't only take it, you know, during one phase of the cycle, but more likely what it is, is that females have a mechanism that makes them particularly vulnerable. And so they are capable of learning these associations much faster. And once these associations are formed, they're more capable of influencing drug taking and seeking behavior later. And you saw some differences in the animals' brains as well that support these conclusions, right? What did you see? Yeah. So we we started, you know, my lab does a lot of um, recording techniques, but here what we did is we wanted to just um, take a first pass overview of what brain regions were being activated by these cues. So what we did is we let the animals, we put the animals back into an operant chamber and we let them press a lever just to present these cues. So what we found was that the females where they that had acquired this cue value when they were in estrus, no matter what cycle stage they were in later, they were more willing to work just for the presentation of these cues. So they were lever pressing at really high rates just to turn on a cue that had been previously associated with cocaine. And then when we looked in their brains, what we found was that reward-related brain regions were being activated by these cues, and it was directly correlated with how hard the animals were were willing to work to present these cues later. And so these cues alone are capable of activating brain regions like the nucleus accumbens, which is something that's critically involved in self-administration and the progression to addiction. This model that you've developed to try to tease apart these very specific linkages, how could this be used in future research? Yeah, so I think that our thing here, um, or what we're trying to understand here is, once we know now that these kind of cue and interactions with drug taking are really critical, now what we can try to do is break the link between those things, right? We can start, start to do you know, recording techniques while the animals are doing this to say, okay, well, what brain systems and circuits are being potentiated by these cues to make them attribute inappropriate value to drugs and other reinforcers? Once we can figure out what circuits there there are in there, we can start to go in and say, okay, well, this circuit is dysregulated. How can we start to understand molecular targets that could do this? And then what you can do, because this, this task dissociates all these things, you can start to manipulate those molecular targets either only during when the animals are associating cues with drug, only during when the cues are presented later, during the drug-taking process, during drug-seeking. And so it lets you actually try to develop targets that selectively modulate different aspects of this process. And I think the reason that cues are so important is because drugs kind of, they hijack the normal brain 
processes that regulate consumption of rewards. And the thing about them that makes them so difficult to target is that those processes are very critical to survival. Because a lot of times when you target that, it's really easy to stop taking making animals take drugs. But usually when you stop making them consume drugs, you also stop them from consuming food and sucrose and other things that are actually adaptive. And so it becomes really difficult. So with a paradigm like this, you can start to look at targets and try to find ways you can modulate the, the kind of pathological behavior separately from the kind of adaptive behaviors that would be would be not great targets. This is the podcast for the journal Neuropsychopharmacology. To read the article discussed in this podcast, go to www.nature.com slash NPP. I'm Cynthia Graber.